This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Insulet, makers of the Omnipod system, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. This is episode 41 of the podcast. Uh, today's episode is a conversation with the director of discovery research from the JDRF, Albert Hua. Albert and I are going to talk about where the JDRF puts their research money. Prevention, artificial pancreas, responsive insulin, encapsulation, beta, beta cell, beta cell. Really, I can't get through one of these without making a mistake. Beta cell therapies. And I actually ask Albert, among other things, if he thinks a cure is beneficial. I see a lot of people online talking about, oh, no one's ever going to cure type 1 diabetes because, you know what, that's not financially viable. You know, people almost, I think, feel like that even if someone came up with a cure that they'd hide it in a closet and albert's going to tell you why he doesn't believe that's true among a lot of other things let's get right to it call the jdrf even their ring sounds nice hello scott albert how are you good do i sound better now you sound great the room noise is gone this is much better okay great beautiful um, I don't want to take up a lot of time, so we're going to jump right into it. Can you introduce yourself to start off? Sure. Um, my name is Albert Hua. I am the director of discovery research at uh, the research department at the JDRF. My background, my training background is in chemical engineering and biological engineering. And I have been at JDRF for about nine years. And what I do here is... Um, I'm part of a team here within the research department to help um, direct the money that JDRF has raised and try to use that to fund the best kind of research um, to, to bring cure and treatments for um, type 1 diabetes patients. And uh, my program area is mainly focused on cell replacement therapy. Um, so that what that means is, you know, we're trying to grow beta cells which produce the insulin and regulate glucose um, in the body and and we're trying to replace the lost beta cells in diabetes patients with these newly grown beta cells by transplanting them back. And and is that encapsulation? So encapsulate encapsulation is a kind of implantation technology that we are um, investing in to to make sure that we can implant these cells in a way that's safe and um, and allow the cells to function in an optimal way, and then that the patients do not have to take immunosuppression drugs to prevent the rejection of the cells. And so, okay, so the the making of the cells is one aspect. The encapsulation is sort of the delivery process for those. Correct. Are there yeah. other delivery processes that you guys are looking at, or is this the most promising? So this is what we have been focusing on in a major way in the last few years. There are definitely other um, delivery methods. So maybe we should kind of go back in a timeline a little bit. So yeah. the the whole proof of concept of cell replacement therapy um, was really demonstrated in 2000. So this this is called islet transplantation. So I'm, I'm sure you're, you know, um, islets are these clusters of cells that are found in the pancreas. And within these clusters or within these islets, you find beta cells, which um, produce insulin in response to glucose. Okay. So the procedure of islet transplantation is you, you basically take pancreases that you isolate from um, 
you know, organ donors. So then, you know, people die and then they donate their pancreases and then you take the pancreas and then you use enzymes to break apart the tissue and then you take these islets out of the pancreas. So now you have very, very small amount of cell mass because islets are very small. Um, but you have the essential ingredient of beta cells within these islets. So in a clinical procedure, you take these islets and infuse them into the the portal vein, which it, which goes into the liver. So so these islets would then de- be deposited into the liver, and then once they're there, they would um, take residence and start to function and regulate glucose. So in 2000, that was when um, the the researcher Dr. James Shapiro at the University of Alberta in Edmonton had the um, really exciting finding that in eight patients that he treated, all eight patients became insulin independent after this procedure. So what this research really tells us is that we now have clinical proof of concept that you can render type 1 diabetes patients who have been diabetic for years, you can render them insulin independent again by putting back in these beta cells. Um, But then over the years, we also learned that there are um, limitations to this procedure. So number one, the islets come from donated organs. So you have very few organs you know, available to treat the many patients that you have. Right. So just to give you a perspective, the, the number of organ donors um, in the United States per year is roughly on the order of 8,000 people. And then within those 8,000 people around, I think, 1,000 or maybe 1,500 um, of those um, organ donors can have their pancreases um, available for for transplantation. So that's definitely a number that's too small to treat millions of type 1 patients. So the number of cells is a limitation. And then the second limitation is that um, these patients who received islets, the you know, the body will treat these cells just like any other kind of organ transplantation, you know, just like in liver transplant or kidney transplant. The body will recognize that this is not from myself, so this is from another person. So if you don't treat the patient with some immune suppression drugs, the body would will usually reject the, the cells or tissue. So these people have to take these um, drugs that usually have pretty bad side effects, so that could include, um, you know, kidney damage, nerve damage, um, could have cancer risks. So because of these risks, you cannot justify performing this procedure in just any otherwise healthy type one patients. Because so, so far, I was just yeah, going to, I was just going to say so because even if there were enough donated organs to to cover every person with type one diabetes on the planet, you you're then saying to yourself. Well, I'm now trading type one diabetes for a, a host of other possible maladies, including cancer, and, and and is that really much of a trade-off? I guess unless you're in such a dire situation that you really do need the transplant. Yes, I mean I wouldn't say that you definitely get cancer no, when sure. you receive these. Yeah, but then yes, so you have to weigh the the risks and the benefits, right? So the benefit in this case is to become you know, better regulated in the glucose control. However, then you, you gain the risk of these other side effects from taking these drugs. So so we have to find um, implantation methods that would be safe and not incurring these kind of extra risks. And that's kind of where the idea of encapsulation comes in, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. So the 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 use of cell replacement therapy for diabetes is actually quite attractive because there are many many diseases that you you can envision you know using um, stem cells and regenerative medicine to to try to correct and to cure. Um, but then a lot of these diseases, you know, would require very specific function. So, for example, if you're trying to repair muscle, the muscle has to, you know, be directly incorporated into the existing, you know, muscular structure in order for it to do its function. For example, it has to be incorporated into the heart. Meanwhile, when you have diabetes, the beta cells, they secrete insulin. So insulin just needs to diffuse into... Um, the blood, and then it will be carried throughout the body and do its job. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to be placed um, at an absolutely the same location in the pancreas. So, and then as the clinical proof of concept demonstrated that you can put islets outside the pancreas. Now they're in the liver, but then they seem to work pretty well there too. So that's where I think encapsulation is attractive because if you can find an optimal way to wrap the cells with some kind of membrane that um, have that has holes that will be small enough so that the immune cells cannot get in and destroy the cells, but then the holes will still be big enough for oxygen and glucose and insulin to pass through pretty freely, then you have a, a pretty optimal system there um, for you to deliver these cells because um, you would be able to provide immune protection, but you would still allow the cells to function um, relatively normally. And there are, I'm right to say there are trials with humans happening now? Yes, so there are um, a couple of trials um, one is actually quite exciting. It's by a company called Viasite. So it's a company in San Diego, and then their technology is actually both encapsulation and the cells. So they're addressing the two limitations that I talked about. The number one limitation was the cell limitation. So Viasite has created these um, cell populations called um, what they term PECO1, but basically there are these immature cells that, that they produced from stem cells. And they have shown that when they put these immature cells into animal models and give them enough time, they would mature and become truly functional beta cells that can correct diabetes. When you say, so then give, they have, I'm just going to just say, when you say give them enough time, about how much time does that mean? Um, on the order of two to four months. Okay. Yeah, and um, and so so they have these cell products, and so now they have solved one limitation, which is the number of cells. And then they have also come up with a kind of device that they call Encaptra that they can put these cells in and then deliver um, this whole package into, um, into the patient. And they, the location that they're transplanting is under the skin. Um, so, you know, right now the trial has only just started um, about a year ago. And um, obviously this is the first time this is delivered in men. So the most um, important signal that we're looking for is, is safety. We want to make sure this therapy is safe. But then at the same time, you know, we're hopeful that um, maybe we can see some cell survival and maturation and function. Um, so we're eager to see how the trial will play out. So that's one trial that's going on. Another trial that we are also supporting is with this other company called Beta O2. Um, and this is a company based in Israel. And, uh, but the trial is actually happening in Sweden. 
And um, what is different about the Beta O2 trial is that their product um, is, is a different uh, encapsulation um, device. And this device is special in such that it, it has two ports that connects into the device. And then the two ports are, uh, are there for you to inject oxygen into the device so that the cells will always be experiencing um, enough oxygen. Um, and, and we do this because we, we have learned that islets and beta cells, they are very, very sensitive to oxygen. So even if the oxygen is just low by a little bit, the cells may stay alive, but then they may not be fully functional. So what, what beta O2 is doing is they are using human islets. So again, this is just a clinical proof of concept. So they're using cadaver islets. Um, so so they're not solving the cell limitation part. They're mainly a device technology company. But then they're, u- they're using human islets that we know are functional and they should work. And then they're putting them in a device and then um, implanting the device also under the skin um, for these patients in Sweden. And, um, you know, we're also waiting to see how well that will play out. However, there is an earlier pilot trial that they performed in Germany where they implanted just one patient um, for about 10 months. And um, after 10 months, you know, this person did not receive any immune suppression, and then they took out the device, and then they saw that the cells are still alive and they were functional. And uh, um, when the device was still in the person, they saw some functional response. The, pe- the person did not become insulin independent, but there does seem to be some functional impact on the person. So I think there is um, some cautious optimism for these kind of approaches, and we're waiting for the trials to finish so then we can learn more about the current designs, whether they are very good or if there are rooms for improvement. Yeah, and I'm sure there always will be. But I, I, for me, and please understand, I'm as much of a layperson as anybody. I, I hid in a corner the other day while my son was doing his honors chemistry because I was afraid he was going to look to me for help. Um, and so, <laughs> but, but, but to me, encapsulation sounds like technology and science that we have now understand and it's at our disposal. And I think that's what makes it exciting for me that you didn't talk about anything and say, and then we'll, and then get to the part where we go, well, then we have to invent a way to do this. You know, it, it's stuff we have tangible right now. I think that's what I find kind of exciting about it. Um, plus the, the overall finished, you know, product idea of heading into the doctor every couple of years, just to have your device swapped out, not unlike a pacemaker. Um, it just seems, it seems real world to me. So I mean, maybe again, maybe I'm wrong because I couldn't help my son with his homework the other night. But, uh, but, 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 but that's how it hits me as a layperson. And do you think that's about the way the average public should take it? I think that's that's the ultimate ideal version of what we would get to. I, actually, the ideal version would be you don't even need to go back every few years to to get a replacement. The the hope is that you can replace this for life. Um, I, I think. I think one part that you said is right. I think we are at at a juncture where there are many different designs and materials that are ready for testing. And then, um, and I think encapsulation still, I think, has quite a bit of clinical research to do. I I do believe that um, by doing these clinical trials, these may not be the 
ultimate product design because I think there are some some things we're learning along the way in animals and in humans that um, the current designs may not be, you know, the the, the ultimate design. Um, but then what's really exciting for me is that, you know, Viasite is one company, but then there are actually several other companies and academic researchers that recently reported that they made um, either these immature cells that can become beta cells or more functional beta-like cells from stem cell sources. So, so many people have now made great advance um, addressing this cell number issue. So I feel that that part of the equation is actually um, has made a dramatic um, amount of advance. So, so we really need to focus on the implantation technology. And, and the reason why I'm being a little bit cautious about um, when in responding to you when you asked me what I thought about your description of encapsulation, I think what we're also learning about is it really matters how you implant these devices and, and materials and where you do it. Um, the human body you know, is structured in a certain way, and then not every location is going to be optimal for um, in, implanting eyelids, especially now you're going to put them in this somewhat artificial membrane and walling them off from the, the blood vessels that in your body. So, so what we're learning is that, for example, you know, if you place it in, in a position that, um, that has good vascularization or good blood vessel growth around um, this implant, then you are more likely to have better supply of oxygen and better um, kinetics of the glucose and insulin going in and out. So, so we really need to find a way to identify the best implantation site as well as surgical procedures in order to have this kind of optimized um, uh, implant outcome so that the cells can stay alive. But also once they stay alive, they still need to be able to have the appropriate insulin um, kinetics um, so that you, know, you don't have, for example, insulin coming out too late, which could be dangerous, right, as you know. So, so that is why I'm being a little bit cautious um, when you ask me that question. No, no, that's that's it's fantastic. So, so when when folks go on their JDRF walk or they or they do their rides or or buy a sneaker in a in a convenience store or something like that, when you're making a donation to the JDRF, th this is just one example of where this money goes to, and and mm -hmm. and you say you have. Uh, it is part of your group's responsibility to decide where um, the money can best serve. Mm -hmm. Where else do you um, do you see the money going that that you're excited about aside from encapsulation and and beta cells? Oh, we have a lot of different programs. If you mainly look at the you know a more direct path toward therapeutics, we have six main um, therapy area, if you will. So. If you then look at the spectrum of um, of type one diabetes development, so if you look earlier in in the at risk stage before you are diagnosed, we have the prevention program. So we're looking at ways to better um, stratify patients and and you know identify patients who may be at risk, and then identifying um, finding therapies that could prevent the disease from ever. Um, progressing to the stage where you have to 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 take insulin, so that's our prevention program. And then, in addition to that, we have you know the artificial pancreas program, which is you know hooking up um, glucose monitor and uh, um, insulin pump. So then you can mechanically um, 
automate the um, the dosing of insulin. And then we're also funding an area called glucose control. And as part of that program, we're funding um, glucose responsive insulin. And so in this case, you have these molecules that could be very, very um, smart that um, the, the insulin could be activated or deactivated based on high glucose and, and low glucose. So then you would not have the dangerous low um, but then um, when the when blood glucose is high, you would have the insulin there to be activated to to bring it down. Where, where's, and then, where's that at? I don't mean to cut you off, but that that's so interesting. Okay. The smart insulin idea is so insulin. Where is that in the process? So there are, I mean, there are some companies that are working on this, but I would say the most high profile one is what was this company called? Smart Cells. So I would say in the in the mid 2000s, you know, JDRF supported a small company called Smart Cells to develop this concept, and then um, later on, it was actually acquired by Merck. And from what I heard, I think Merck is actually starting some clinical testing um, with with this kind of um, product concept. But I don't know where the the trial status is. Um, this was relatively recent. So in terms of the most advanced part, I, I think this this program is probably the closest to the clinic. Um, but then other than that, there are many academic researchers and some small companies that are um, at the stage of, you know, molecule designing. And then, and I think some of them have prototypes that they're probably testing in an animal model. Okay. Yeah. Can, not to get too far away from the science, but I think something I hear in the diabetes community a lot, and I completely understand when people have this feeling, you'll hear people say a lot, we, we live in a capitalist society and it doesn't benefit anybody to cure a disease, but that's not true. Is it? I, there's plenty, I mean, there's plenty of money to be made from curing a disease. And, and is there anything you can say around that idea that would, would lay to rest people's fears that there is a secret cure to their type one diabetes locked in a vault that someone won't let out because they want to keep selling us insulin and needles and things like that. Oh, I, I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think that's just total conspiracy theories. I think if, you know, if you talk to these companies that, I mean, obviously they, they do want to make money, but then if you look at the diabetes, you know, market, it's just enormous. And, and then there's so much interest now that we're seeing that companies are, you know, interested in all sorts of therapies. And then if we go back to encapsulation, we are seeing all of these pharma companies now coming around to seeing cell replacement therapy as something that's you know, very promising. And then there is a lot of money to be made. And then if, you know, we don't know how, how long each product is going to last, like we described earlier, the ideal version hopefully would last a lifetime. But I think, you know, first go around, we, we, we think, you know, if you need to replace it every two years, that I think will be quite reasonable. Yeah. And then in that case, you know, the company should be still happy to be selling products, you know, every two years. Um, but then I, I just really don't think that, you know, there's some some group of uh, you know conspirators withholding money um I, I that's not something that i see at all yeah and albert and I, then, I would yeah. tell you i don't have that feeling at all but i remember that thought 
cruising through my head when my daughter was first diagnosed. Like it was mm-hmm. one of the initial fears that I had, like, oh, why would anyone bother to, you know, to do this? And, and that old story, um, and I don't know if you've ever heard it, there's, a, there's, I don't know if it's a wives tale or a real story about a man, you know, coming up on like 80, 90 years ago who developed a light bulb that never burned out. And he was very excited to sell it to General Electric who called him in a room, had him bring in all of his research crushed every one of the light bulbs, burned his research in a trash can, gave him a check and sent him back out the door again. So I, I think that's what it pops into people's minds in, in the beginning. And, and like I said, I won't lie to you. It occurred to me like that too. But since then, like you said, it, it does just seem conspiracy, like a conspiracy theory to me as, as well. Um, but I've also met a lot of people who mm-hmm. work in different um, walks of life. And, and my wife is one of them. You know, um, you know, when my wife was in college, she wanted to be a physician. And her, and her path took a slight turn, and she ended up coming out of college and getting a job with a pharma company. And now, 20 years later, she, she works in product safety for Novo Nordisk. And I've never met more people who are just... They're just good people that want the best for other people. You, you, you know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm, I know she yeah. came, she came home one day and said to me, you know, I think she said the CEO made a statement today, you know, that we all saw. And in that he said, you know, our, our end game is to put ourselves out of business. And, and yeah. I, and I do think that that's most people's finding is, is, is that the sort of hope that you work with every day with the people at the JDRF? Yeah. You know, we, if we can cure this disease, you know, we'll, we will probably, you know, make ourselves out of business. And that is something that we we are trying to achieve. I think JDRF is was started by these passionate volunteers and still very much a volunteer-driven organization. And, you know, we see that every day. You know, our our board members, our research committee members, they interact with us. And then, you know, we are very much... Um, constantly reminded that what we do every day has to have some kind of patient impact. And I think that plays into how we design our programs. And when we, you know, invest in research projects, we always ask, you know, does this have a pathway to, you know, treating or curing diabetes for patients? And and that's something that we, we are reminded every day. Um, I think the the, the uh, some of the complaints maybe people have is 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 a symptom of frustration with you know how how slow science may may evolve i think jdrf was started in the 70s but if you if you think like well it's been 45 years or so and why haven't we seen a cure I actually would say that we have done so much you know compared to in 1970 we know so much more about how type 1 diabetes is developed and what are the stages of type 1 diabetes. And then we have much better way to diagnose people um, before clinical onset. And then we have a lot of these different therapies to choose from. So, so I do think that we have made a lot of progress. And I know that, you know, for someone who has a loved one um, with type 1 diabetes, you know, these changes cannot come fast enough. Um, but you know, science does take time. And then I want to take a, take a little bit of time to explain what I mean by that, because I think this, this example will, will, will kind of illustrate how long it takes. So if you remember the human embryonic stem cells were really only 
um, derived and studied in about 1997 or 98. And then JDRF was quick to recognize that this technology is so powerful that we have to um, embrace it and then and support this area because it, this will lead to, you know, now you can make a limited number of beta cells to to do cell replacement therapy. So in 2001, when um, there was a federal ban um, on the use of federal funds to do this type of stem cell research, we continued to, to fund people to do this research. And in 2004, we supported a, a company called Cythera, and then they derived a number of stem cell lines that are clinically applicable. One of those lines was called Cythera 49. And you fast forward 11 years now to 2015, you look at Viasite and then they, they are doing the first, first in-man trial implanting stem cell-derived um, beta cells into type 1 patients. And the stem cells that they're using are derived from that very same Cythera 49 line. And that started before 2000. And then it took you know more than 15 years to get here. But then we got here because we had put in the earlier investment um, to not stop stem cell research in 2000. So, so I think, you know, we, we have to sometimes step back a little bit to look at um, how, how slow or, you know, how steady science may progress over time. But it, it, does, it does come with really, you know, joyful, you know, products and, and fruits of labor. So, so that, that's something I would explain to people when they complain, come slowly. Yeah. It's easy to think of it that way. You're measuring it against the span of your lifetime and instead of the span of how quickly or slowly things take to happen. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and it is, like you said, it, it, when it's something that affects you every second of the day, what you really want to hear is, hey, it's the JDRF. We found the pill that makes your diabetes go away. You know, you know go ahead and swallow this and get back to your life. And, and obviously, it's just not how things work. And so kind of with that in mind, if you let, – let's just take encapsulation as an example. Let's say that it was – we fast-forwarded to whenever the point is that we can say that this all works perfectly. You, you, the membrane works right. We have the cells right. All, everything's ready to go. You're still years and years and years away from putting that to market. Isn't that correct? Like, like it's not like you don't snap your fingers. You've got to produce the cells and, and build infrastructure. And, and, and there's all kinds of things that would still have to happen. This holiday season, you're going to want to do what you want, when you want, without worrying. Omnipod can help. You get continuous insulin delivery, and it's waterproof, so you don't have to disconnect for daily activities. Even better, it's totally discreet with no tubing to tangle or to dictate what you wear. And that's pretty great. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself. So get a free demo kit, including a sample non-functioning pod by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo and see what you think. There's absolutely no obligation. It occurred to me today that I'm always telling you to go to myomnipod.com forward slash demo, but have I ever done it? My omnipod.com forward slash demo. I've hit enter. Try my, okay, let's see. If I want to try this, I fill in my name, Scott, last name, Benner, state I live in, I'm assuming, Uh uh-huh, an email address, and a phone number for contact. 
don't know if they're gonna contact me or not. Let me see what it says. I can choose to get the latest Omnipod news or not choose. I have to certify that I'm 18 or older. I acknowledge that I've been provided, uh, let's see, access to the Insolid HIPAA privacy notice, which I have, there's a link to it here. And I authorize Insolid and their subsidiaries to contact me by telephone or email regarding the Omnipod and other diabetes-related supplies and services. So I click, 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 and I hit request my demo, and I guess then it just comes. That seems pretty simple. I don't know why you wouldn't try it. I mean, a free demo pod with absolutely no obligation? MyOmnipod.com forward slash demo. If I can do it, I'm assuming anyone can. All right, let's get back to Albert. Actually, in a little bit, it's uh, it's kind of adorable, but I... I tell Albert how intelligent he is, and and uh, he says he's not. He gets real humble. I said, well, then name some people you work with who are smarter than you. And he actually does, and then realizes that he probably shouldn't have named people, and then starts naming everybody that he works with, which I really did find to be adorable. He's a really good guy. He's got a lot of great information. Let's get back to it and uh, hear what else he has to say. Yeah, so... Yeah, so so you're right. We have to have scaled up production of the cells, and and that means you know you need to produce you know thousands, tens of thousands more amount of the cells, but then all at the same same quality that quality control that you had when you did the small clinical trial. You also need to do the same for the device, and then the you know, putting together the cells and the device together, that process also needs to be scaled up and then be done in a way that's, you know, compliant with, you know, all the FDA regulation. So so after you've done all that, then you have to do, um, you know, the phase three trial to prove that, you know, in a much larger number of patients, you still see the same kind of effects and the same kind of safety profile. And then the FDA will then say, okay, here's, everything you have done, we have reviewed it and then we think it's good enough and then allow you to market it. Right. And that could, that could take years. Yeah. Right. Right. And then you got to fight with the insurance companies. And, but, but the reason that, that, that I bring it up like that is because I have a very, I have a very clear vision of what I think you guys are doing. I am excited for everything that I hear about and, and very supportive and, and want you guys to thrive as much as you can. And at the same time in my day to day life, I would tell you that I live and raise my daughter as if she's going to have type one diabetes for her entire life. Because I just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I I have hope. I have tons of hope, Albert. I really do. But I don't have, I don't want to spend every day on the precipice of going like, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? I can't live my life like that every day. And so, Mm -hmm. so that's why for me, and I know that in the community, there's, there's people who agree and disagree. But for me, that's why I like to hear that you guys are also supporting things that are in the here and now that help me. Like, for instance, if I and I might not even be right about this, but but you guys have supported Dexcom in the past. Is that correct? Um, Yeah, I believe so. Although, you know, I I haven't been watching that program as closely, so I I don't know the the information as accurately. But as an an example, so skip over. I mean, you're you're supporting, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, bionic pancreas type stuff. And so, and mm-hmm. that stuff that's, you know, I, I see pictures of people online all the time who are, who are, who are working on that and, and uh, mm-hmm. using it. And, you know, I hear stories of guys walking into waffle houses and just pushing a button on an iPhone that says large meal and, and their blood sugar never going up. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I think splitting up the, the funds to re, to support 
long-term research, medications, like you said, um, preventative uh, measures and, you know, devices that are in the here and now. I just like the idea of covering all the bases. I, I don't imagine that dumping all of the money in one place would get us to anything quicker. And that's my question to you. Do you think, obviously you're the one who, who, who helps decide where the money goes. Can you help belay people's fears in that? If you just drove every penny to one thing, do you think that would get them to a, you know, a magic pill any quicker? I think there's the, there's only a limited return on, on that kind of investment strategy. Um, I think just like your stock market, you're not going to put all of your money into one stock. You want to diversify your portfolio. And then, and I think, you know, and just from talking to people, you know, for, for different, for every different person, different patient, a cure is, is a very different thing. You know, some people may be very happy wearing a, a bionic pancreas or artificial pancreas and then think that that's a cure. But then some people will feel that, well, that's not enough for me. I want something that I, I don't need to keep, you know, seeing and having to touch. I want it to be implanted. And then for some other people, they don't think it's a cure until the autoimmunity is completely removed from their body and then their beta cells are regenerated within their pancreas. Right. So, so I think we're trying to do this for all the type 1 patients out there. At the same time, we're trying to address all stages of type 1 diabetes and then diversifying our shots on goal. So then, you know, we're not missing some opportunity there because if you invest only in one area, you're definitely going to miss out on some others. Yeah, And especially if that area f for some reasons ends up being a dead end, then you are just lost at that point. And, and right. yeah, it, and it's, a, and what you guys are doing is a huge undertaking. I mean, um, and I feel supported by it, you know, as a, as a father of a child who has type one diabetes and, um, and, and I'm very grateful for it. Let's take a, just a, a pause here for a second, Albert. And let me ask you, uh, are you aware of how smart you are? Is it a burden? Do you find, um, do you, do you, hold, do you hold it over other people's heads and mock them openly in your private life? I would, if I was you, um, <laughs> Where? I, I'm I'm not that smart, trust me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then and then I think if you ask any of us, you know, we we all went to school and did you know training with people who are you know just as smart and and smarter than us. So there there are many many smart people, and we we don't think about that at all. Look at you, you're humble and brilliant. That's very kind. That's very nice. Look at you out in the world. Um, do you ever look back at the group of people you work with and think, wow, like what a collection of people? Like, like do you feel? I mean, I, I guess it's a leading question, but you must feel lucky to to work in in a, in a situation like that. Where, where there's so many minds working on the same kind of idea. Is it, is it collaborative in a way that is, is difficult to like, would I have trouble ex like feeling or ex understanding how collaborative your situation is? Or, you know, I guess what's your day to day like in the, um, in, in the lab and, and the office, how do you guys, how do you guys interact with each other? Well, so within JDRF, you know, we work in, in pretty large teams. So, you know, we, we actually have to work across functional areas. So it's not just the scientists like me. We also work with, you know, our grant and administrative assistants, you know, because in addition to just programming the science, we also need to, we, we have a fiduciary duty to make sure that the funds are administered correctly. 
And then so we have a whole host of other um, group, uh, a whole other group of people to help us do that. And then we also have another group called the Research Business Development Team, and then they help liaise with, um, you know, the industry partners and then um, other, you know, funding bodies and, you know, for example, venture capitalists to try to direct more funding, leverage more funding into the area of type 1 diabetes. So then all of us all need to work together. So it is a very collaborative environment. Now, going out into the field and working with the scientists, um, I mean, in the past, when I was in the lab, you know, of course, you know, we, we all work with each other um, within the same lab. But then I think one of the things that we are constantly aware of as um, scientific program managers um, doing things like this, you know, directing funding for um, advancing type 1 diabetes um, research, we, we actually do see that a lot of scientists, they, they don't they don't necessarily work well with each other or sometimes they they just don't go out of their way to to really collaborate with other people sometimes it's a personality thing sometimes it's just you know they're so you know into what they're doing and they they, they just don't take the extra time and perhaps bandwidth to look outside and then that's where JDRF also plays a role because you know not everyone knows everything and then you know, take encapsulation research again, you know, you you can probably imagine that for a technology like this to succeed, you need someone who has transplant expertise, but also expertise in biomaterials and engineering and immunology and, and beta cell biology and stem cell biology. So all of this cannot be found in just one person. And so we actually, part of what we do is not just, you know, review grants and then fund them. We actually put together teams to make sure they would succeed. And then, and part of that, you know, is as much science as much it is an art because, you know, some people just don't play with nicely with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. then you have to find the right personalities and then make sure that they gel together. They will talk to each other and then gel. And then so so that's another thing that, another role that JDRF plays, which is put together uh, the right team to do the right science. Yeah, that's a, that's fascinating. I didn't, I would never have thought about that had you not just said that. That, that really is something else. So you, you are you are handling all aspects of, of building a team and giving it the best chance to, to succeed. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, yeah. What... Listen again. What have I not asked you about that you wished I would have asked you about? Because I am, I, I am very conversational, obviously, on the podcast, and and so I, I don't sit down with a list of things in front of me. But I don't want to miss something that you think that that the listeners would really enjoy or or, or benefit from hearing about. Um. Well. Well, I was sort of going through the program areas, and then I think I sort of I was getting too wordy, so so I didn't get to finish all the program areas. So, so in addition to the ones that I mentioned, I I do want to mention that we also have a program on looking at diabetes complications, particularly kidney disease and eye disease, as well as looking at restoration, which is to combat the autoimmunity and then try to regenerate the beta cells. And then so I, I think particularly in the area of autoimmunity and then and beta cell biology and, and in the prevention area, I think we have made a tremendous amount of progress, which has been maybe a little bit hard to 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 make it, you know, more popular science to make people feel like, oh, I'm going to really benefit from that immediately. But then it it's difficult to to do that because 
we are learning a lot of basic science. We're learning so much more about how type 1 diabetes develops. And then that may not necessarily translate to a therapy immediately, but it's really exciting times about um, learning about human type 1 diabetes. You know, so we have programs that collect tissue from, um, from people who, ha- who have type 1 diabetes and those who are at risk. And then we're learning so much about these, um, these biosamples. And then just the amount of knowledge that we have learned over the last 10 years is really unprecedented. And I really do think that, you know, in the very near future, something will really come out of this basic knowledge to help us, you know, develop prevention um, strategies, as well as ways to protect the beta cells and then to to combat the, the immunity that's destroying the beta cells. And so, so that's something that I would say that in addition to just what you may have heard about artificial pancreas and encapsulation, there's a lot of um, work being done in the other area and a lot of good work, um, good knowledge being generated. Yeah, too. Got, so I'm excited about that. You got, you're excited about what you're learning just in, in all the facets. And so, and I would have to say this, being a pragmatic person, if I had to bet money right now, I would probably tell you that a cure is not going to come like none of the things you're working on now are going to end in a cure. It's going to be something that comes out of one of those things or out of a number of those things that get put together. It's going to be what you learn along the way. I mean, I think once the idea of a real cure is here, it's going to be an idea that maybe we don't even have yet. And, and that, that's going to be found along the way. And I love the idea of going backwards and, and building your, your, your knowledge base up and learning more and more. Because um, I, I think you're right. I think that's where, that, that's where ideas come from, when you really have a, a grounded understanding of what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. That's really cool. It really is. I mean, I'm in awe of what you do, uh, obviously. Um, it is, um, well, we, we, we love what we do and that's why we are, you know, doing this every day. So. Yeah. Well, I will, I would say this, Albert, and you could walk around all day and thank people for me if you want to, but there's a feeling that comes over you when, you know, I'm only the parent of a child with type one, but when my daughter was diagnosed, one of the very first conscious thoughts I had was that there's nothing in my brain that will help her with this. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist and I'm never going to be able to move, move her closer to this, not being her, her reality. And then, I mean, that's what led me to walking for the JDRF and, and raising money because I, I wanted to try to help somebody who was you, you, you know, and uh, and I genuinely, and I'm sure everyone listening to this, oh, there's a, an alarm to check Arden's blood sugar, actually. But um, I'm <laughs> sure, you know, it, it is, uh, y- you know, I can't say how grateful I am. It, it's, it would be difficult to put into words that, that you exist and that the, and that the entity exists and, and that these things are being you know, um, chased after it, it, it is, it is where the hope comes from for me at least. So I appreciate it. Thank oh, you very much. Thank you. And then I want to thank you. And then also your listeners who, you know, help JDR raise money so then we can do all of this wonderful research to then, you know, benefit back to, to the patient community. Yeah. No, I, I, I would imagine it is everybody's, uh, everybody who does this is, um, probably does it with, uh, with a complete openness and, and, and love. So, you know, it, it just, there's, there's no better way. Like I said, most of us don't have, um, the knowledge or the foresight to, to, to do what you're doing. So this, this is the best way we can give back. So, you know, it is very kind. Um, I had this thought I wanted to share with you and now I don't know where it went again, you know? Okay. So while I'm thinking of what I wanted to say, name one person in the office that's smarter than you Go ahead, shout them out right now give them the props they deserve Who, who's really brilliant walking around back there 
who do you who do you, who do you look at and think I'm not, I'm dumb compared to this guy because I have because you're making me feel like that right now. And please don't feel badly about it, but right now I feel like I'm lucky not to bump into walls. And and <laughs> now that I know you're in the world, who who makes you feel that way? Who's back there that really just knocks you over? Or, or do you not want to say would it make their head too big? Yeah, probably. Well, no, I think he's a humble guy. <laughs> Ooh, you have so. somebody now. See, this is interesting, Albert. You have someone in mind. No, I mean, we, like I said, you're not going to, no one is going to know everything, right? Yeah. So I think I, I know some things maybe a little bit better than some others. But um, so our, our chief scientific officer, Dick Ingsoll, so he, I think he, by training, he's um pediatrician, I think. And then, but then he also has a lot of expertise in immunology research. So, you know, he, he just, he reads so much literature and then um, he, he really keeps up with sort of the latest technology and the happenings in in all areas and not just diabetes. So, so he, very often time. Yeah, so yeah, he so, keeps feeding himself then. I'm sorry? He keeps feeding himself with information and new ideas and... and yeah, yeah, and then he would then he, then he pl- he does a really good job to to kind of let us know about relevant information that would be useful for us to know. So then, you know, I may not have read something, but then he will tell me about it, and then you know this would really help help some of the programs and projects that I'm driving. So yeah, so yeah, so so I do think you know he's smart and smarter in different ways. <laughs> Look at you! I didn't think you were going to answer that, Albert. Thank you. I thought you would. I thought you were going to say something very politically correct and just redirect the conversation. But you went right for it. Thank you so much. Well, I mean, like I said, not everyone's going to know everything, right? So then he's yeah. he's one of them, and then everyone here in the office, you know, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, so my boss Julia, she knows a lot more immunology than I do, and then my. My colleague Andy Rakeman, he knows a lot more about you know development developmental biology than I do. So everyone is is smart in different ways. See, poor Albert, now you're stuck mentioning everyone, so that when people I know, listen, now, I'm so gonna, <laughs> now I'm going to be blamed for not mentioning some of the others. Someone's going to come up to you and be like, "Oh, wasn't me, huh?" <laughs> well, I did not mean to cause you any trouble, and I was just trying to be playful, but um, because it's such a serious conversation, but at the same time. You know, it's just such a valuable conversation because I think a lot of the stuff that you talked about today is just stuff that most of us don't understand is happening. You know, I think we have a very basic idea of what a cure means. Like I said, I think even as Americans, you know, when we talk about healthcare, you know, we're a, we're a society of people who want to hear that we're sick and the doctor says, this is the pill that makes you stop being sick. You, you know, mm. it, it's such a fast paced society. Nobody wants to take the time to be sick even. And, and this is such a big thing, you know, I mean, honestly, and, and obviously my, my history is no good on this, but what's the last thing we really cured as a society? Is it polio? Is there something between polio and here that I'm not aware of? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> but, yeah but you know what I mean? Like the point, the point is, is that, you know, you put all the great minds on something like this. You know, it's going to be, it's going to take time. It's going to take lifetimes to figure out. And I think what, I think the real problem is, and it's, it's cliched at this point in the diabetes community, but the real problem is, is that when you're first diagnosed, a doctor who looks at you and sees the, the pain on your face wants to give you some sort of a hope and they all throw out that, oh, don't worry, in five years, they're going to have this all figured out. And I, and I genuinely believe that that's a, 
it's a lazy approach from from clinicians, you know, to just to to kind of pass your grief off and get you get you moving on. And I think that enough people have been told that that mm-hmm. you know it's a disservice to what you guys are doing, honestly. You know, uh, what, you know, the answer should be is that there are a lot of really great people um, who are working towards this and hopefully one day they're going to find an answer. But in the meantime, did you also know they're looking into this, 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 and this, and these are all things that are going to make your life better. So, you know, I mean, I can't imagine, I know the difference between managing my daughter day to day with an accurate glucose monitor compared to not having one. I know the difference between using injections and using, um, you know, her Omnipod insulin pump. Like these are, these are big steps. They're not fun. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, she's tethered to something or, you know, what, whatever people complain about when you talk about the technology. But the fact of the matter is, is that my 11 year old's A1C has been around six for like two years. And that doesn't happen. Oh. That doesn't happen without this kind of stuff and without understanding, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Well, that's great. Yeah. No, nah, please. I mean, my, my point just is, is that that, that you guys have your hands in a lot of stuff and, and most, if not all of it is helping us. And I just think that sometimes we don't know that. So I, I was really happy for you to come on and, and, and fill us in a little bit. And, uh, oh, good. yeah. And, and just like, now I can spend the rest of my day just feeling average. Thank you, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing a great job disseminating good information. So that's good. No, I'd be proud of that. <laughs> no, I, I am. And I, I'm, and I am in, I'm genuinely, you know, I, don't, I guess I don't know how to say it, but I've been doing this long enough now with blogs and stuff like that that I just see the real, I see the real benefit of, of hearing from people long form like this. Like you can give this interview in print and it just, I don't think it does the same thing as hearing that you're a person who has a connection to this, you, you know, and, and that, you, that you believe in what you're doing. Like I, I think that's, that's why these podcasts are really valuable at this point. It really does it opens up another door, you know, in the conversation. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you coming Good. on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Albert. We're going to do this again sometime. This, next time we got to get the smart guy, though. Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> Yo, I'm just kidding. Actually, I think that um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get Aaron on the show and um, okay. and and, uh, and let him go for a little bit, too. But I, I, I just can't. Again, I'm... I'm I'm rambling a little bit here at the end because I am in awe of how you were able to just start talking about these topics and be so clear and thoughtful about them. I, I, I hope you're proud of yourself actually, because it sounds kind of, oh. yeah, yeah. It's not my place to be proud of you or anything like that, but I, there were points when you were talking and I was like, I can't even stop him. I should just turn my microphone off and let Albert go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I was happy to talk to you. And, you know, I as part of my job, I sometimes go out and talk to um, lay folks about just to give them an update of how we have been advancing the science and spending the, the money that they have so, um, you know, working hard to, to, to raise. And, um, and every time when I get this kind of reaction um, of the excitement about research, I always get you know, very, I feel very gratifying. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank it's, you. it's, it, it's, it's more exciting than I think people want to believe. And it's, again, it's tempered by the idea of time, which, you know, and you know, what doesn't help too is technology at this point rolls over so quickly that our new expectation is that I'm going to get a new iPhone every year and it's going to do something. I mean, you know, stop and think about your cell phone for a second. 
what can they really do to my cell phone to make it that much better? You, you, you know what I mean? What's it, is it going to float across the room to me when it rings? You, you, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's, there's not much left. It's pretty amazing. Yet my expectation is, is that the new one better do something. It better do something way better than the old one does it. And I'd like to have it quickly. And companies in, in, in technology are coming through on those promises now. And even, you know, with... Um, glucose monitoring technology, if you stop and look at Dexcom, their advancements are starting to pile on and pile on, and they've found a way to get through the FDA process quicker. And so now that that idea is trickling back into um, into diabetes technology. So, so uh, I guess we're all going to just sit around and be hopeful that it, that it trickles back a little farther into research and, and development of, mm-hmm. of, of biological answers. So, all right. Yeah. All right. Albert, listen, get back to work. Are you in Manhattan? I heard, I heard sirens a couple times. Are you in Manhattan? Yes, actually. I, um, I, I'm at Bowling Green. I don't know if you know where that is. No, I um, might, it, my, my wife worked up there for a decade, but I, I think I've kind of forgotten okay. the city a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's sort of near Wall Street area. Okay, all right. And, and big offices up there for, um, for JDRF? Yeah, this building is actually quite old. It used to be the Standard Oil building. And do you live in the city? Or do you, do you commute in? I commute in, but I live in Brooklyn, so uh, I still consider that the city. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah, that's not too. My wife used to commute from Central Jersey, and after uh, after about eleven years, she uh, she turned into what I refer to as a train zombie, and uh, that was that was before The Walking Dead. And she would just come off that platform and just kind of list back and forth, and looked like she hadn't seen the light of day in a while. And I was like, I think you need to find a job closer to home. Um, and, and she has, but all right, Albert, I, thank you very, very much. Um, I appreciate you doing this. It should be up in a couple of weeks. And when I edit it together and put it all together, I will send you over a link so you can, uh, so you can listen. Okay, great. Thanks, Scott. Have a great, great day. talking to you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, everybody, the show will be back in two weeks. Uh, in the meantime, remember that nothing you hear on the juice box podcast is advice, medical or otherwise. When um, there'll probably be a show or two in December, at least one where I'll give you kind of the um, a primer for what's coming up in the next dozen shows that I already have recorded and ready for you to go. Uh, we're going to be talking to the author of Sugar Surfing, Dr. Stephen Ponder. We're going to talk to a mom who I met online, and and uh, we talked for ten minutes about her son's blood sugars. And four days later, no more 400s, no more 300s, no more 200s with these tiny little adjustments that she made. Uh, We're going to talk to someone who just got off an artificial pancreas trial. We're going to talk to a lot of different people. I can't remember them all right now. And one very special guest, if I can get out of my own way and stop messing up and get him on the show. Um, But there'll be more about that hopefully by by the next episode. Thanks so much for anyone who has left a rating or a review for the podcast on iTunes. If you're enjoying the show, please do that. Go leave a rating and a review at iTunes. But more importantly, and maybe most importantly, tell a friend if the show is something that you're finding valuable and you think they would find valuable. That would be just great. Okay, until I get back, you have to go back through the old episodes. Go back. There is something back there for everybody. You may not have, uh, maybe you came on late to the show and you're just, just kind of catching on. This is episode 41. There's plenty more uh, before this. Interviews, information, uh, stuff that I think you'll definitely find uh, beneficial. All right, listen, I'm on uh, the Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that, at Arden's Day and at Juicebox Podcast. I'll talk to you soon.